One of the most talked about decisions of 2020 was the High Court judgment on the extent of the requirement to return premises to a landlord with vacant possession in Capital Park Leeds PLC versus Global Radio Services Limited, a ruling that raised eyebrows across the sector. Now, the Court of Appeal has given judgment in favour of the tenant Global Radio Services on its appeal. Joining me to discuss this latest development uh, on uh, today's episode of On the Case are Gabrielle Tennyson-Blackshaw and Marcus Barkley of CMS, who acted for the successful tenant. Great to speak to you both. Hi there. Nice to speak to you too. So Capital Park is a case that centres on the meaning of vacant possession. And in this dispute, it seems that the property was left rather more vacant than usual. So can you just outline for us uh, how vacant possession works, uh, the parties involved and the circumstances in this case that gave rise to the litigation? Sure. Well, so this was a case where Global took an assignment of this lease in 2014. They weren't the original tenant. Uh, And the premises were used as a, a radio station. And the Global took the assignment as part of its acquisition of the Guardian Media Group. Mm-hmm. And once, it's done, once it had done that, it realised it didn't need them anymore. So it served the break notice um, to bring the lease to an end in 2017. And the break condition included a vacant possession condition, which traditionally means leaving the premises free of people, chattels and legal interests. So Global served the notice um, and it knew that it was going to have to do some dilapidations works mm-hmm. uh, once the lease had come to an end, come to an end. So it, it started doing those works. And in this case, that meant stripping out a lot of, of the m and equipment that were in the premises because they used as recording studios. There was a lot of m and in, in there uh, that needed to come out because uh, it was dysfunctional, needed to be repaired before it was put back in. Um, so Global started doing those works and did the strip out. And then as often happens, there was a discussion between Global's dilapsed surveyor and the landlord's dilapsed surveyor about doing a financial deal mm-hmm. instead of putting the putting the stuff back, because landlords often like to have you know some cash in their pocket rather than the premises back in accordance with the lease, which isn't always the most marketable condition. So there was a discussion. Global surveyor believed they'd reached an agreement that the works would stop and they'd reached a financial settlement. As it happened, they didn't reach a financial settlement, but by the time that became clear that they weren't going to reach one, it was too late for Global to finish off its work. So come the break date, all those things that had taken out, ceiling tiles, uh, um, chillers, radiators, quite big stuff, they were mm. still missing. So come the end of the lease, the landlord, which is Capital Park Leeds, surprisingly said, well, you haven't given us vacant possession of the premises because in this case the premises includes all fixtures whenever fixed they're not there you haven't given us the premises you've not complied with the conditions so the lease is still ongoing that's how the uh, the litigation started and if that came as a surprise then i imagine uh, when it went before the high court and you you got judgment there uh, that that definitely uh, uh, caught you out. Um, it, it was, as I said at the start, it was one of the most talked about uh, decisions last year. So can you remind us how Deputy Judge Benjamin Nolan QC treated the key issues and uh, what, what sort of facets of his judgment caused the most surprise? So the key finding um, by the High Court trial judge was that because the tenant had removed uh, the landlord's fixtures and various elements of the base build, the physical condition of the premises was such that there was a substantial impediment uh, to the landlord's use of the premises. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that satisfied the second 
test in the legal and general an expeditor's case. Um, and the trial judge also stated that the adoption of the definition of the premises, which included fixtures and fittings, was used to safeguard the landlord from the tenant handing back an empty shell of a building, mm. which was dysfunctional and unoccupiable. Um, and actually, the judge concluded that's what the tenant had done. But the landlord had not actually advanced an argument of substantial impediment, and it didn't rely on the second test in legal and general, um, and nor did it rely on the building being dysfunctional or unoccupiable. In fact, the landlord didn't actually rely on any of the VP cases, as it said its case was different. It was not a matter where too much had been left behind, like the traditional VP mm. cases, um, but simply a matter of construction. The, the premises must be delivered up with all fixtures to satisfy the conditioning clause 10.1.4 of the lease. But substantial impediment, of course, is a matter for expert evidence. And had the landlord um, made that claim um, or that the premises were unoccupiable or dysfunctional, then both parties, of course, would have put forward expert evidence in respect of that. Mm -hmm. So unsurprisingly, the landlord did not seek to uphold um, the high court's findings in that regard and so the appeal actually just turned back to look at a review of the construction of the clause um, of the clause of 10.1.4. It's probably worth saying um, that, that Judge Nolan to be fair to him is a criminal has had a, a long and distinguished career at the criminal bar um, and is very familiar with those cases but but the world of landlord and tenant and leases and dilapidations and break clauses was pretty new to him mm. um and i think he 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 understood that he was being asked a question uh, which was you know a, a novel question in a field that he really wasn't familiar with so i mean that's why he actually he actually granted permission to appeal yeah. himself so he knew he may he may have got it wrong uh, and uh, the matter did come before the Court of Appeal last month, uh, and with uh, both admirable speed and, and even more admirable brevity, uh, the court has unanimously uh, allowed your client Global Radio's appeal. Um, so Lord Justice Newey gave the, the lead judgment. And how did he approach the, the key issue in the case? Well, it, it, it was brief and it is quite a short point, really. Mm. I mean, it's about what, what's the meaning of the vacant possession condition. And Lord Justice Newey said it's a matter of construction, fairly, fairly obviously. Um, but he he went back to um, the conventional meaning of vacant possession as being the trilogy of people, chattels and interests, as explained by uh, Lord Justice Newey in the Goldman Sachs case, which was where we all thought we were. Mm for the um before the first instance trial in this case um and i think the key part of the judgment is where lord justice Newey says that of itself an obligation to give vacant possession refers to giving back the property free of people chattels and interests and not to its physical physical condition so where you just have an obligation to give vacant possession we now know what that means is you have to give it back free of people chattels and interests it doesn't matter what the condition is that's a, that's a separate a separate issue to be dealt with in a, in a different way and he said he, he made the point that in 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 many leases the parties do make it a condition um, of a of a break that the tenant gives the property back in repair or, mm. or in accordance with some other 
tenants covenants and he referred to the legal and general expeditors case as an example of that but pointed out they didn't do that here and he noted what he called the telling contrast between the yielding up provision which required the tenant to give vacant possession um, in accordance uh, with the repair and uh, other covenants in in the lease um, the, the contrast between that and the break clause which only required um, vacant possession and didn't make any reference to the condition in which the premises were given back. Mm-hmm. He, he also said that in the context of the break clause, the words the premises could legitimately be read as meaning the premises as at the break date. In other words, the premises from time to time. And he said that was the con- consistent with the definition of the premises, which talked about landlords fixtures whenever fixed. And then finally, um, having sort of looked at how one should construe the wording of the lease, he then looked at, well, what's the sort of business common sense consequence of the landlord's argument? What's the business common sense consequence of Global's argument? And he found in our favour on that, that the landlord's argument just resulted in some potentially unlikely consequences, unlikely in the sense that they're not something which you would expect the parties to intend. So, for example, the tenant could give the property back in a terrible condition, uh, absolutely dilapidated with nothing working. But as long as everything was actually there, then the break um, condition would be satisfied. Whereas um, if it gave it back in pristine condition, um, save for a few missing ceiling tiles, then the break wouldn't be uh, break condition wouldn't be satisfied, and that just didn't feel like mm. something which commercial parties would be likely to intend. So that's how he approached it. I think an interesting point that the landlord had repeatedly reiterated throughout the trial was that tenant break conditions, of course, have to be complied with strictly. Um, but Lord Justice Newey pointed out the fact that break preconditions must be complied with strictly. It doesn't mean that that condition has to be construed strictly um, or adversely against the tenant. So I thought that was quite a, an interesting point to come out. OK, so in short, it's, it sounds like a victory for the tenant on, on the break clause point. But that might not be the end of the matter for these particular parties. Uh, the judge notes that capital's true remedy is to seek compensation for whatever loss it may have suffered. So could you just outline for us how that might typically work sort of going forwards? Whether it's ahead of a break date or, or a contractual expiry date in the lease, the, the standard practice is for the landlord to assess the condition of the premises and any outstanding breaches and relating to the condition of the premises and whether that's repair, alterations, yielding up, etc. Um, And actually, often landlords and tenants each produce their own assessments um, of those breaches that are outstanding and any losses associated with them. And then off the back of that, they'll either try to agree a financial settlement or the tenant may consider actually doing some or all of those remedial works. Um, And if the landlord and tenant can't come to uh, a financial settlement and there is still an outstanding claim, then the landlord can follow the court dilapidations protocol process and make a formal dilapidations claim. But 
the level of the landlord's claim may not be the full cost of um, its losses, um, usually the remedial um, works cost, because that could be subject to a statutory cap known as the Section 18 cap relating to diminution in value of the premises as a result of the condition um, of the premises. So that's how it would in the ordinary course work um, in the run up to lease expiring. Sure. OK, so uh, overall, I imagine this decision is is kind of uh, seen and, and perhaps welcomed as a as a restatement of the orthodox position after perhaps a few uh, question marks entered the picture last year. But and had, did you find that the High Court judgment had caused much uncertainty? Um, and uh, how do you think advice to landlords and tenants will change as a result of uh, the Court of Appeal decision? Yeah, I, th I think there will be a lot of people breathing a sigh of relief. In fact, I know there are a lot of people breathing a sigh of relief. <laughs> I've had that said to me by a number of people already because that first instance decision was causing real difficulties. Mm. Um, actually, and I, don't, I don't think it was particularly good for, for certainly it wasn't good for tenants. I'm not sure it was great for landlords either. But from a tenant's perspective, uh, it meant that you really had to know um, all about what the original base build mm. was you had to know what were landlords fixtures you had to know what had been replaced how it had been replaced whether it had been replaced in accordance with a tenant's covenant or not um, and that was all information which you might not have if, if as in this case uh, where global was an assignee they weren't the original tenant they didn't know that they weren't privy to a lot of that information and in the case the landlord surveyor produced a very bulky um, report about what the base build was comprised of and to do that he had to do a lot of research he had to go back through a lot of records and get input from m e experts and even then it wasn't absolutely 100% clear what the base build comprised of so that made it incredibly difficult if you're saying to a tenant to exercise this break you've a you've got to leave um, you mustn't leave your people, your chattels and any legal interests behind, but you mustn't take too much away because if you take any fixtures that were there originally away, then then you're at risk of not exercising the break. That's incredibly difficult. Mm. So it made the clauses. I mean, bacon possession has its difficulties anyway. Um, e even now we're back where we thought we were. It's not entirely <laughs> straightforward. But with that in first instance decision, it was incredibly complicated. And actually, from a landlord's perspective, it could cause difficulties as well, because if the tenant did exercise the break and um, try and leave, then you're, you're, you, the risk is you run into the sort of limbo period that we've had in this case, where the, the break notice expired in 2017. It took until 2021 to find out whether it was effective or not. And that's not mm. good for either party in the meantime, because you're in a limbo mm. situation where no one knows what their rights and obligations are. So overall, yeah, I think it's I think it's good for everybody. Let's us know where we stand. And um, we can we can crack on with vacant possession cases as we as we used to. You share that opinion, Gabrielle? Absolutely. And and like we've touched on, when it comes to uh, the usual dilapidations process at the end um, or at least coming up to a break date uh, as well, the tenant may start some of the works and may not complete all of them. But the previous High Court decision made it incredibly difficult um, for a tenant to start some of the works but not then finish them mm. uh, if there was any danger of um, leaving any fixtures or elements of the base build uh, not reinstated. Uh, so that enables tenants to 
now go back to the usual course of, of choosing which path they want to with um, implementing dilapidations works or, or seeking to agree a financial settlement. Thank you very much, both of you, for joining me and uh, explaining the decision in uh, Capital Park. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. We have. Thank Excellent. You. <laughs> Good. Uh, you have been listening to On the Case from EG.